Today's guest on the podcast is Gretchen Rubin. Gretchen is one of the most influential writers on the subjects of habits, happiness, and human nature. She's the author of the New York Times bestseller, Better Than Before, and also The Happiness Project. Her new book, Outer Order, Inner Calm, is a beautiful book, fabulous, about decluttering your life in order to have more inner calm. So very cool. Since I'm in the throes of moving, this was especially applicable to me. You may have seen Gretchen on Oprah's Super Soul 100. She's got a huge following in print and online. Her books have sold more than 3.5 million copies worldwide. Her book, The Happiness Project, was even an answer on the game show Jeopardy. So that was fabulous. She's a recovering attorney and from Kansas City, which is where my stomping grounds are at the moment. So I hope you all enjoyed this episode with the amazing Gretchen Rubin. Welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day, and it's what we do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. I am thrilled to have Gretchen Rubin here. Hi, Gretchen. Hi, I'm so happy to be talking to you. Yes, so excited. So we're going to talk about all sorts of fun things, but most importantly, you're another recovering attorney. Yes, yes, I am. (laughs) There's a bunch of us. There are, I know. I've been in groups where it like turns out everybody was was at one time a lawyer and now none of us are. But I have many friends who are still very, very happy lawyers. So it's a great, it's a great profession for the people who like to be lawyers. That's right. That's right. So how do you, how do they find happiness in being lawyers? That's the burning question, I guess. Well, I think, you know, I think that I've thought a lot about this. I think the thing about law school is that law school is a default choice for a lot of people. They're good at reading and writing. Maybe they know, they kind of know what a lawyer does. So they go thinking, well, it's a good education. I'll keep my options open. And so they never really intended to be lawyers. Like I went to law school like for all the wrong reasons. And it's like, if you become a sound engineer, it's because you want to be a sound engineer. You don't just like randomly become a sound engineer, but people kind of go to law school. And then I think they're not happy with it because they never really chose it. I think people who are like, I want to be a lawyer and this is why. And then they go to law school. Those are the people I know who are still lawyers and who still love it because that's what they wanted in the first place. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about your new book, Outer Order, Inner Calm. And this is such a timely book for me because we're in the middle of moving. Mm, Yes. I literally spent, well, this is our second move in five and a half months. So I have done the purge twice now, but this, this weekend was the major pack. And I just love your book because it, it, it just rings so true to me right now because it, it, I'm just throwing out stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think there's this misconception that we have to get organized or we, you know, so let's talk about this book because it's so important how to declutter and organize to make more room for happiness. Yes. Well, the fact is that for most people, not for everyone, I will say, um, but for most people, outer order does contribute to inner calm and a sense of kind of focus and possibility. And there really is something about getting rid of all the stuff that's just clogging our way that makes us feel kind of freer and lighter. Of course, life is easier. It's easier to put things away. It's easier to find things. It's easier to clean. It's easier to move. Right. Um, 
And then it also at a much deeper level, you know, a lot of times our possessions kind of give us bad feelings, like feelings of regret or guilt or like of a fantasy self that we're not living up to. Uh, the or, genes, right? The, the yeah. Genes. <laughs> yes. I, I just recently got a pair of, rid of a pair of leather pants. I mean, what was I thinking? <laughs> I think I had those things for years. You might need uh, those again, though. Well, no, <laughs> they scared the heck out of me. I wasn't going to wear those things. Um, and, uh, you know, and then they do, possessions allow us to project our identity into our environment. And so when there's more clarity about that identity, that's very pleasing. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of reasons why outer order um, contributes to inner calm. But it's interesting that you talk about moving because one thing that has struck me as I, because I've been on this big book tour, so I've been talking to people constantly Something that's coming up over and over is someone in my life needs to downsize. They need to move. They need to have a smaller footprint. They need less to manage. They need to move to assisted living. They need to move to a different city to be close to me or whatever. And they are so jammed in their house where they have lived for 40 years with an attic and a basement and a garage and a guest room and a pantry that like no one can, no one can, 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 can wrap their minds around how big a job that is. Right. And so part of it is like, do it as you go, you know, tackle it. If you, you can do it in, in big purges or you can do it little by little, but try to like start to manage that because at some point someone is going to have to manage it. And right. the longer you wait, the harder it's going to be for whoever that is, whether it's you or someone close to you. Well, I found you have to own it because we've moved a lot and I think it's so much a mindset. And I know the book, focuses a lot on you know these are choices and it's so true because like I have noticed when I go into this moving purging I have to be in in almost a game mode <laughs> like yeah. I am going to attack this stuff do, you know do I need this do I want this if not you know gone so how much does mindset and your research does it weigh into this process Oh, I think mindset is huge. And I mean, you just listed what I think is the best test. Do we need it? Do we use it? Do we love it? Because a lot of times you have something and you're like, we don't use it. We don't need it. We don't love it. Like, why do we have it? Like, I, to me, I think that's a really good test. That eliminates a lot of, because a lot of times people are like, or at least for me, it's like, this could be useful. Okay. But no one's using it. No one wants it. No one's, no one loves it. Like it's, it's not useful. It could be useful to someone else, so give it away. Right. Like, we just got rid of this giant metal mixing bowl. I'm like, it seems like it'd be a really useful thing to have. And I was like, and yet we haven't used it in 10 years. Yes, that's so, me in the KitchenAid mixer. We've been hauling around this $400 KitchenAid mixer since the beginning of time. Oh, it takes up so much space, It too. takes up so much space. We yeah. I never use it. And my husband's like, I love it. And I'm like, okay, but you love it, so we keep it. <laughs> I don't if personally love, love it. Yeah, If you love it. But, yeah, I think it can be hard. It can be hard to sort of acknowledge like, oh, we never use a, our Vegemixer or whatever it is. You know, I mean, <laughs> part of it is like we could. That's the fantasy self. One yes. day we will. Um, but so do you need it? Do you use it? Do you love it? And then I think a, a really uh, helpful thing to think about is don't get organized because a lot of times people are like, I'm going to get really organized. And they get and they want to run out to the container stores, Staples and get binders and elaborate containers and strange newfangled kinds of hangers and and it's like, but if you just get rid of everything you don't need, don't use, don't love, you may not need to get organized. If you get rid of your mixer, you're going to have a lot more space in your kitchen. Um, and so I think, especially with things like paperwork, there's this strong desire to like get everything organized. But like, if you really, I was talking to a guy a couple of weeks ago, 
he was going to get all his paperwork organized and chronological and the binders and the three hole punch and the whole business. And then he realized most of his paperwork had to do with pet insurance and he didn't need it. And also it was all online anyway. It's like, what, this is all this recycling. Like you, you don't even need to shred this stuff. It's just like, it's not even, it's just random papers. Um, so you don't need to organize it. So I think, I think, yeah, a lot of times these kind of gateway questions can often lead you to, you know, throw things away, donate things, mm -hmm. recycle things, um, so that then they don't have to be managed. I found like the most helpful thing in the world and that's Facebook marketplace. Now it's really hard to sell stuff on there, but on Saturday I would go, I was going through the house and I was like, I don't want this chair. And I would take a picture of it and I would say free and told the cross streets. And with, I mean, I got rid of 10 chairs, three rugs, like so much stuff on Saturday because I said free and people mm. came and got it within four hours. And it's satisfying because I think one of the things that's the, one of the reasons why clear and clutter kind of releases energy is that when we don't use things, they kind of weigh on us. And we sort of, I think it feels good to have something be, being used and be, even being used up. Like I get enormous satisfaction every time I get a hole in a sock. Um, <laughs> and the thing about the chair is you're like, now some, somebody wants it enough to come get it. Right. You know, and it is it worth good. time and effort to fuss to even get $25 for it? Probably not. And, 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 you know, but, but for somebody to just come and take it feels good because you're like, now it's doing its work in the world. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's better that it, that somebody be getting value out of it than it just be like languishing in some corner of my house. And the thing that was cool about Facebook is a couple of people came and I spoke with them and the late, this one lady said, well, I, I'm looking for clothes. And I said, Oh, I've got eight bags and mm. she had just lost 40 pounds. And it turns wow. out she was my size. Oh my so God. I gave her like eight bags of clothes. This was and, miracle. Yes. And then she goes, well, can I come help you clean this week <laughs> since oh you're moving, God. you know, to pay you back? And I was like, well, that's really sweet, but no, but I mean, it was, no, <laughs> no I'm, I don't want you in my house, but, um, it was just really cool because every, like you said, everyone was super excited to get those things. And now it's like, oh, the chair goes on, but I don't have to. You know. But he here's the dark side of that, though. Yeah, the I, I, no, 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 I've seen this happen. Well, I think that the, the, the you know how, like they say for gamblers, it's like if you get the one big win, like then you're just like you can't stop because you're like, I've got to get that feeling back again. Yeah. And I think every once in a while you'll you'll have that big thing. Like somebody say like, does anybody have a charging cord to a 1984 fax machine? And you're like, oh, my gosh, I have that. And you go get it and you pull it out. And it's like your moment of triumph. And it feels so good or it feels so good to get those eight bags of clothes to this actual woman who you who actually wants them. That then it's hard to I think sometimes people are reluctant to like just give something to a thrift store because then they're like, but I don't know that it's going to be properly used or like they want to have an actual recipient because that feels oh. so satisfying. But the fact is, if you're hanging around waiting for that match, that's going to slow you down. If what you really want to do is just like get your own house in order, I think you sort of have to trust to the thrift store and say it will it will get it will get to the right person. I might not see that happen. It's more fun when I see that happen, but I'm not going to hang on to things forever on the off chance that like somebody randomly loses 40 pounds and crosses my path. And I, and I think for some people that that becomes it becomes a, a real stumbling block that they need the right recipient for everything yeah, they're given that they're, that they're clearing out. And um, I mean, look, I have a I have a thrift store that's right around the corner from my house, which is like the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And I was walking and I had given away a lot of stuff 
from my older daughter who's now in college. And I walked by the window and in the window, like so featured as like <laughs> prominent was my daughter's like these purple cowboy boots that she had like only worn one time. And I got such immense satisfaction because I'm like, there they are. And somebody is going to be like, oh, my gosh, I love these purple cowboy boots. I've wanted them my whole life. I'll come in and buy them. But I'm like, I don't I just have to trust that that's going to happen um, and not wait for that moment of connection, because I do, I do think that for some people that becomes it really slows them down because they're waiting. Well, I need to find the three year old child who is basically the size of my my daughter that I can give these things to. It's like you could wait for a long time for that combination right. to appear. Right. So yeah. what is the hardest part of establishing this outer order? Like what is the big hurdle for people? Is it emotional attachment? Is it the perception they don't have time to deal with it? What have you, what have you found? Well, that's all those things. I mean, I think at the very core of it, it's decision fatigue. It's what do I do with this thing? I don't, you know, happy to figure out what to do with this thing. But the elements that you're talking about come into it. Part of the emotional is like, I want to keep every toy my daughter ever, ever played with. Can I keep every toy? If I don't keep every toy, what toy should I keep? So the emotion is what's driving it, but it's the decision fatigue that's kind of stopping me. Um, or, you know, I don't have time to make these decisions. It's just easier to jam everything into boxes and put it in the garage than it is to sort through it. So I'm just going to put this off forever. And then one day I like I can't park my car in the garage, which is very common in the United States. Turns out like a, I can't remember the percentage, but a giant percentage of people cannot use their garages for their cars because it's so full of stuff because it's just easier to keep it than it is to decide what to do with it piece by piece. So, and, and and somebody, I was giving a talk and somebody said, well, how do you eliminate the decision fatigue? And I really stopped in my tracks. I'm like, I don't think you can eliminate the decision fatigue. You can have questions like, do I need it? Do I use it? Do I love it? You can have like the three strikes you're out, which is another test I love, which is we're basically, we're, we're, our default is to keep things. So if three times it's occurred to you, should we get rid of this KitchenAid mixer? <laughs> Nobody, you're like, by the third time you're like, yes, we should get rid of this KitchenAid mixer. Cause if you need something, use something or love something, you don't constantly question. Like, I don't ask myself, should I keep my running shoes? It's like, no, of course I'm going to keep them. I wear them all right. the time, you know? So, so there are questions that can help you quickly make a decision or kind of shine a spotlight that will help you make a decision more easily. But I think in the end, it really is the decisions. Um, You know, am I really going to decide to let something go because I'm just not going to use it? I really am just going to admit to myself, I don't use the treadmill. I can close on it. Yes, I do. (laughs) But I don't actually exercise on it. That's a big decision to make. That's a big acknowledgement. So I think at the at the core of it, a lot of it is is decision fatigue. And it's also, and I mean, it sounds like you've experienced this, it's easier to keep up than to catch up. And I think for a lot of people, it's like they start a new job and they move at the same time, or they have a baby and they move, and they never get quite caught up, and then it just gets worse and worse from there. But once you're caught up, it's a lot easier to keep things going. And I, I think moving is a time where many people use that as a time, you have to catch up. You know, unless you do the, ter- the like the dreadful thing of like just putting everything, tossing everything in a box and worrying about it and say, I'll worry about it later. Well, now you've got a big, very big problem on your That's hands. That's the worst um, thing. I did that in one you move. Pay, yeah. You've paid the money and the time and the energy to move that stuff. Then you got to unpack it at the other end. But that's also another opportunity is, you know, probably have you found that you get rid of things when you're packing up and then when also when you're unpacking? A lot of times you're like, eh, I moved um, it, but I don't even want it. Yeah. Yeah. I But the. 
I found that you have to do it on the move on the front end, on yeah. the packing end, because when you open a box and yeah. you hit, you've reached your destination and it's got stuff in there you don't want to deal with, like from de decision fatigue, you'll just yeah. shut it. You'll yeah. shut the box back and go, oh no, I can't deal. And you'll, you know, you've got to dump it on the front end. Yeah. But in that, but, and that's a lot of work. And I think you have to give yourself time for that. Yeah. To, to go through it and have a system. Yeah. Yeah. But moving is one is one of the best times to do this. And in fact, um, one of the ideas I talk about in the book is a virtual move. Um, really sit, walk around a room and say to yourself, if I were moving, would I move this thing? Like, you know, like I remember my parents had this like, I mean, it probably weighed like 30 pounds. It was this giant clay serpent that my sister made in second grade. Well, my parents have all kinds of handmade stuff for my, my sister. Like, do they really need something that takes up an entire shelf of a bookshelf? And it's like, it's not even that interesting. It's like, let's get rid of this thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just, we wouldn't have moved it. Why are we keeping it? It's right. too big. Well, it was funny. I did such a purge that we went to sit down to eat and we've been eating in the living room on the ottoman. Cause it's just me and the kids right yeah. now. My husband's already in Massachusetts. And, and my daughter goes, where's the tray? Where do we put our drinks? And I was like, oh, crap. I purged that. So oh. I went out to the garage and I dug it out of the trash and wiped it down. I was like, here, we actually need this. Sorry. There you go. Yeah. You're like, I forgot. It's I useful. Needed that. But that's like the fear that everyone has. If I get rid of it, I'll need it. But it was a $4 tray. You know, you have to put oh, things yeah. in perspective. If it's gone, you know, it's okay. And one of the things I've found is, have you heard of the bagster? The thing you buy on Amazon? It's like a portable dumpster. It's, oh, it's, oh, oh, yes, this I is, have. Yes. yes, this is magic. And it's probably hard for people that don't like to add waste to the planet. But it's 30 bucks on Amazon. It's the size of a dumpster. It's canvas. You put it out in your driveway. You fill it to your heart's content. It can literally be overflowing. And then you call your local. You have to make sure your area has it. But then they will come pick it up. And so Who's I think uh, the waste management company, oh, okay. whoever, call, yeah, whoever in your area, you know, con is the con contractor for it. Sorry. But the thing that I used to find that was the big barrier for me getting rid of stuff was the transport, like getting out. And so yeah. the bagster has been just amazing for that. That's so, great. To know about. But so here's the thing about the landfill is I, I, I hear that from people all the time. I don't want to clear clutter because I don't want to contribute to the landfill. But the fact is we contribute to the landfill the minute we take that thing. The minute we buy that thing or somebody offers this tote bag to me for free at a conference, it's like it's going to end up in the it's going to end up in the landfill either now or in 40 years when our children do a Swedish death cleaning. Like right. if you don't want to contribute to the landfill, don't buy it. Don't take it. Right. Because once it's in existence, it, like it could have a long destiny or a short destiny, but that is that is the dust. You know, you've got a plastic pitcher; it's going to the landfill at some point. Um, and so I think, I, but one of the things I found, and maybe you found this too, is that one of the things that's very striking about creating outer order, again for the people for whom this is true, which is most people, is you feel so much more engaged with what you have that often people do find that they buy less because it's like, oh, I know I can find all the plastic containers that I need. I don't need to keep buying more plastic containers because they're not just like in some back closet that I can't get to because, you know, it's it's like or like it's very I'm I'm a my sister, Elizabeth, who's my co-host on the Happier podcast with me. We have a weekly podcast, Happier. She's my co-host. She's my sister. She's very messy. 
and she calls me a happiness bully because I can be consistent <laughs> if I think there's a way for you to be, be a little bit happier. And one of the ways this comes out is I beg my friends to let me come over and help them clean their, their clutter because it's like the contact high for me and none of the emotional drain that comes from dealing with my own stuff. So I love to do it. And one of the things that happens over and over is we'll go through someone's clothes closet. They'll take out two giant bags, three giant bags of stuff. And inevitably, they walk back to their closet, look inside and say, wow, I feel like I have so much more to wear. Right. Because when you get rid of all the stuff you don't need, don't use, don't love, or that doesn't fit or that it's uncomfortable or you think it might be out of style or it's kind of scratchy or like it's it's outside your comfort zone like my leather pants or whatever it is. When you get rid of all that stuff and you just see the stuff you actually like and want to wear, you feel you feel like there's more abundance. You're like, oh, I see all kinds of outfits I could come up with because I'm not I'm not I'm not um, fighting my way through a bunch of stuff that I'm like, eh, I don't feel like wearing that. I should wear that, but I don't want to wear that. Oh, one day I'll wear that when I lose 10 pounds. You know what I mean? Right. You get rid of that stuff and then you feel more engaged with what you have. Right. And I did that purge the last time we moved. I got down to my skivvies and I would not keep anything that I did not try on. So I spent like two hours and I try put on every single piece of clothing. That's so smart. And you know what? I realized that I was doing a lot of, uh, this will fit in five pounds or mm, if I get a little fatter then I might need this. But I, I made a rule and said, if it does not fit right this second and look good on me and make me happy, it's gone. And I, I mean, it was shocking how little clothes I had left, but I yeah. can always find something to wear now. It's so true. Yeah. I feel very French or something. <laughs> I think I have my black boots, my black pants, and my black shirt. Well, it's interesting because I have a friend who loves clothes. And I mean, oh, my gosh, she's got a lot of clothes. And I went over there to help her clear clear her clothes. And she said she looked, she looked at me with apprehension. And she said, I feel like you're going to try to get me to give away too much. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, I'm not saying you should have a capsule wardrobe or even anything close to a capsule wardrobe because you love clothes. You like to have a lot of choices. That's not right for you. Everybody wants to get to a different place. But even for you, it's no fun to look in your closet and see things that don't fit or that you don't like anymore or that like you have to, you know, we all, a lot of us have something where like you just keep buying, like how many black cardigans have I had in the last 20 years? Probably like a hundred because I, I have to stop my, I, it's like, I'm always like, oh, you could always use a black cardigan. Sometimes you have too many pairs of black pants and you're like, I'm not going to wear my ninth favorite pair of black pants unless they're truly different. And, and like my friend was like, these are summer and these are winter and these are cropped and these are full and this looks good with boots and this goes with that. And I'm like, for you, there's all these distinctions. They are not fungible. To me, I can't handle that level of specificity, but for you, that works. And so, yeah, you, but but still, you're not going to wear something that doesn't fit. And you're right. not going to wear something that you don't, you're like, eh, I like these other ones better. Get rid of that stuff, and then it's easier to find the ones you like. Um, the size thing is very real. I mean, I think for a lot of people, that is a major issue with their closet. And what I always say to people, like my friends, when I go there, is I say, look, you know, this was two babies ago that this fit. And let's just say you get back to that size. Are you going to want to wear these things that have been hanging in your closet for 10 years? They're not fresh. They're not right. up to date. If when, when, and if you get there, you're going to feel like buying new clothes. So let's just get rid of these right now. Then you'll have the room. They can go and serve somebody well, while they're still 
reasonably, you know, in fashion, in reasonably good shape. But it's, they're just sitting here. Stuff, they get pulled. They go yellow. You get moths. Right. Whatever happens. Like, they just don't stay nice forever. You know, let them go. And then when the time comes, you'll get new things. Because you know that's the truth. You know right. that they some, some, you're not going to wear your jeans from 30 years ago. You know, right. you're going to buy new jeans. Yeah. And the thing that I, that kind of helped me rationalize getting rid of the big and the small was keep, and this sounds so dismal, but was keeping the funeral attire. So I have, I have black dresses in size 8 to 20. And I just kept those. <laughs> I kept like, wow. you know, that like, way. You can't fake an, that. Right. That way, if there's ever an emergency and I'm too fat to wear what I have, I can go to the funeral section <laughs> of my closet and pull it, which is terrible. But that gave me some peace because like, no matter what, I'll always have something to wear whatever size I am in an emergency situation. And that's kind of now, weird. That is a great idea. Yeah. And then I kept one pair. I have one pair of magic skinny jeans that I keep and it's tucked in a drawer really deep in case I ever need that frame of reference for whatever reason, whether I need to hate myself or love myself, I can pull out the jeans, but that's, that's it. That's all I keep that doesn't fit. And it's, it's helped. It's really helped. Well, it's interesting because I wrote a book called better than before, which is all about how to make and break habits. And Mm -hmm. um, one of the things, and I kind of find that it's hard to believe this research, but um there is research that that or a hypothesis that one of the reasons that people tend to gain a lot of weight in prison is that their clothes are very loose fitting and that one of the ways that we uh have a sense of like our own weight and are kind of even unconsciously calibrating what we eat is by how our clothes fit and so if you are constantly like me wearing athleisure um and every and it's like oh nothing nothing ever feels tight it's all just stretchy um there can come the moment when you're like, "Ooh, I got to put on a dress and go somewhere. And it's like, "Ooh, I didn't really quite realize what's been happening. Right. Which is a reason why, you know, every once in a while, like put on, like a lot of times I know people who have a pair of jeans that like they never wash, um, that they never do anything. They never wear. They just use them as like a check. It's like, how are they fitting? Cause it's like, these are the, I want to fit into these jeans. Right. Um, and so it's a way, but maybe more than sometimes your weight is hard, is hard to kind of know what that means, but then a way, a way a pair of jeans fit it, yeah. for some people is a very useful metric. Yeah, that's very true. Cause when I left the practice of law, all the real clothes, you know, went away the tailored stuff and yeah, athleisure wear, that's me too. And that's true. Yeah. Got to kind of keep it in check. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, on the podcast, um, Alyssa and I had a month where we challenged ourselves to wear clothes every day because we are like, she's a Hollywood writer, so she can wear whatever she wants. Um, but she was like, I should step up my game. She's like been saying this for years. She's still saying it. I'm going to step up my game. And I'm always like, I'm going to step up my game. But th- so we're like, can we actually step up our game for a month and like truly wear clothes? We counted jeans as uh-huh. clothes. I'm like, as long as it's not actually made out of lycra you know what i mean <laughs> um, but jeans can be stretchy did you have like the real jeans <laughs> no but they're not i have the kind of jeans that have the stretch and all that but even the stretchiest most comfy jeans are not as comfy as yoga pants no. i'm sorry it's just like people are like these these shoes are so comfortable i'm like don't kid yourself they may be comfortable but they're not comfortable as running shoes right like if you're wearing, if you're wearing a hoodie running shoes and yoga pants like that is as far as i'm concerned like that's it can't, you can't, nothing can match that. That's what I'm totally wearing right now. <laughs> you're no, no, you're not putting your best foot forward in the world. So for did sure. you do it? Did you do 30 days of A-game clothes? Yes, did. 
We did, and I and I think it did make it easier, especially for Elizabeth, because she actually does often go into an office and she has coworkers and things. I think it did kind of. Uh, I think it did make her um, kind of reacquaint herself with things that she liked in her in her in her um, closet, and made her realize that she did feel better. Because she would have the thing where, like, she'd run into somebody and want to kind of slink away. Because <laughs> and then it's like, oh, it's better when you feel good about what you're wearing. Sometimes right. you feel kind of. So it was it was a very useful um, it was a very useful exercise. Yeah. For me, it's more like now I appreciate even more how lucky I am that I can wear athleisure so much. That's right. But what I the way this ends up creating clutter for me though is because because I do want to wear athleisure at every possible moment. I end up changing my clothes several times a day because I often like. I need to go visit someone in the hospital later today, so I'm going to have to change. But then I'll change back. But then I have to go to a party night, so then I'll have to change. Then I'll have to change back. <laughs> then I have to put all my clothes away. That is my personal – that's my kryptonite. Um, yeah. When it comes to outer order, I have a lot I, – I, I really have to stay on myself. I think most people, it's like they don't answer the mail or they leave their, you know, their exercise clothes everywhere, whatever. Most people have a couple things. The, clo- the coats are all over the place. Shoes are all over the place. Dog toys are all over the place. For me, it's clothes. It's yeah. my, for my family, it's, it's really clothes being scattered around. Yeah, our, our house is socks. My daughter yeah. takes her socks and throws them, and, and it was so bad that I said, okay, look, every time I see a sock, it's a dollar going forward. <laughs> and I went off on a, um, on a business trip, and I, I was about to get on the plane, and she had texted me. She's 10. And she said, you owe me $2 because my socks were in the bathroom because I had gotten dressed really early. <laughs> oh. I was like, oh, she's really good. Oh, well, children are great policemen. Yeah, they um, are. Yeah. If you make a rule, they will be good enforcers. So that's, that's right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about technology and how that helps with this outer order. I, I was, when I was, again, moving, packing, I found my big, giant wallet of CDs. Oh, yeah. And I thought, I do not need these. I have Apple Music. But I started flipping through them, and it really did bring me a lot of happiness. I was like, okay, this doesn't take up much space. I'm going to keep these. But as far as papers and, like, kids' artwork and, like, how have you found technology to kind of help clear this clutter? Well, one thing is to take a picture of something. Um, So maybe the CDs, like, if you are not actually looking at listening to the CDs or thinking, like, oh, this would be handy to have in my car or something, you might just take a picture of it because a picture is – because what you really want is the visual prompt for a memory. So I will often take pictures of things like really cute outfits that my daughters wore when they were little. I don't need the little yellow rabbit dress, but I want to remember the little yellow rabbit dress. So I have, like – you know, I will often take pictures of things – as reminders. Um, one thing where this comes up a lot of times is often we are not acknowledging to ourselves how technology has replaced items. So the items, while they're perfectly good, they don't serve a function for us anymore because we don't use them. For instance, um, a scanner. Well, now you can use an app on your phone that can scan. So you don't need the scanner. You don't need the, um, like, do you, like I had, I got rid of a lot of really nice camera equipment because I'm like, right. I, I just don't even use a camera ever anymore because I use my phone. Uh, same thing with the video c- camera. And then, you know, you have all this stuff that goes with it. You have the cords and the, and you know, and like I gave away three giant bo- um, containers of blank CDs. I don't even remember what at the time I used blank CDs for, but right. I had I had a lot like 
got them out. And now they were all, this is called deep. I call this deep clutter when it's like nicely put away. It's not in your face and bugging you the way like the clutter magnet on the kitchen table is, but it doesn't need to be there. There's no reason to have it. So get rid of it and get just like, get, get open up that space. Um, even something, I mean, I hated to admit this to myself, but even dictionaries, like I kept dictionary that I got like as a prize in high school, but just like the paperback dictionary, like I just use, I look everything up online now, so I don't need that dictionary. Um, and so uh, if I, gosh, I was helping again, my sister clear clutter. And, uh, so I was cleaning her home office and there was this big fax machine. So I'm like, can we get rid of the fax machine? And she's, because by the way, it's not even plugged into the wall, you know, fax machine, you need a phone line. So I'm like, it's just sitting on a shelf. So clearly you've never used it because it's not even hooked up. She's like, I can't use that. I can't get rid of that. That's my husband's Adams. Okay. So I go to Adam and I'm like, can we get rid of this fax machine? He goes, well, you know, you might have to send a fax. And I'm like, <laughs> like when? And he said, well, you might. Okay, so this was a year ago. So then I come back a year later because I do. For, I am a happiness bully, and I'm constantly trying to help my sister clutter because <laughs> she's very messy. She's clutter blind. And I say again to Adam, it's exactly where I left it here a year ago. No one has touched it. You never. And he goes, but people sometimes send faxes. I'm like, they really don't. I'm right. just going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say no one's going to send you a fax. Or if they want to send you a fax, you can deal with it at, at that point. You will find some workaround. This is not – It's and it took up a huge amount of space. Now, it was just in some cupboard in their library. It wasn't – in their home office. It wasn't, like, causing any problem. But I'm like, it just weighs you down to have this kind of obsolete, unused stuff around. And by the way, some people really do send faxes. So give it away. And then somebody might be like, oh, this is fantastic. Here's like this unused fax machine that I can. I thought thought people still sent faxes, but then I did two mail away real estate closings over the last couple of months and there was not a fax sent. And I thought, you know what? If real estate lawyers aren't faxing, it's done. (laughs) Yeah. I think because you can scan. Right. And you can email. Or just then go to the, go to like, you know, there are these little office stores where it's like, if you, if you have to like one offset of fax, like, so it costs you $3 and you're like, this is exorbitant. If I had my own fax machine, this would nothing. It's like, okay, yeah, but it's whatever. Like, and you have yes. to buy a phone line because you know you don't have a home phone anymore. Yes. I mean, this is the thing. It gets you into this whole business and, and then it, and then it breaks and I don't know. I mean, but, but you sort of have to be looking out for those things or, or like, um, uh, you know, uh, we did with this thing with coffee where it's like, there's all different ways you can make coffee. And my husband was sort of slowly working his way through every, I don't know I'm not interested in it at all, but he was kind of trying out all these different things. I mean, over the course of like five, six years. So we have all these forms of making coffee. And I said to him, pick one, like for goodness sake, like we don't, and then, cause then you never use this other one. And we have all this kind of apparatus related right. to it. It's perfectly good, but you don't use it. You've moved on. So let's just get, but, but it's kind of hard to recognize that sometimes. Like we're moving through technologies of coffee production. Let's yeah. get rid of the ones that we're not using or, you know, blenders or, you know, um, I mean, we, I, this just happened. I mean, I've been writing this book for a while and this just happened like a month ago. I was looking in my kitchen cat drawers and I realized that we had a garlic press then I realized we had two garlic presses so I was like we don't need two garlic presses which is the best one better one I will keep that we'll give away the other one then I realized we don't might we get the like lazy it's called like lazy morning or something like that it's when you buy a little jar of chopped garlic and so you right. don't even use garlic. I'm like we don't even use one garlic press why do we have two I have no idea I feel like I've never seen them before in my life clearly they've been in my kitchen drawer for probably years let's get like, why are they here? Let's just get rid of them. Like, again, it's not a big deal, but 
it just weighs you down to have all this stuff just kind of clogging, clogging your, clogging the plumbing. You don't right. need it. Don't use it. Don't love it. Don't even recognize it. I felt like I had never seen them before. Yeah. So you said there's certain people that outer order does not necessarily contribute to inner calm. I want to talk about the four tendencies a little yeah. bit because I think it's it's some of your best work and it's just, I still don't really know what my tendency is. And so I thought who better to talk to yeah. than you about it. Um, but can you, I know you can buzz through this for anyone yeah. who hasn't heard. So let's yeah, hear it. So I'm going to, I'll quickly define these. And, and as you say, most people can tell what they are just from what I'm going to describe. And often you can tell what many people in your life are too. But if you do want to take a quiz, there's like a free quick quiz at quiz.gretchenrubin.com. And like 2 million people have taken this quiz. Um, and it will tell you what you are and give you kind of like a report um, uh, at quiz.gretchenrubin.com. But often people don't need to take the quiz. So, so I'll go through it and then we'll, then we'll analyze you. Okay. Um, <laughs> Yay. So, what this looks at is how you respond to expectations, which sounds like very dry, but ends up being very significant um, in a lot of things in your life. Because it's like, why do you do what you do and why don't you do what you don't do? So it's how do you meet expectations? And we all face two kinds of expectations. Outer expectations, which is like a work deadline or a request from a friend. And then inner expectations, my own desire to keep a New Year's resolution, my own desire to get back into meditation just for myself. So depending on how you re meet outer and inner um, expectations in combination, you're either an upholder, a questioner, an obliger, or a rebel. Those are the four tendencies. So upholder tendency readily meets outer and inner expectations. So these people, they, they meet the work deadline, they keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. They want to know what other people expect from them, but their expectation for themselves are just as important. And their motto is, discipline is my freedom. Then there are questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. So This is my daughter. <laughs> okay. So they, they, they resist anything arbitrary, inefficient, uh, unjustified. They're making everything into an inner standard. If it meets their inner standard, they'll do it no problem. If it fails their inner standard, they will push back. And their motto is, I'll comply if you convince me why. Then there are obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. And I got my insight into this tendency when a friend said, the weird thing is I know I'm happier when I exercised. And when, I'm on, when I was in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running on my own now? Well, when she had a team and a coach expecting her to come, outer expectations, no problem. But when she was trying to go running on her own with an inner expectation, it was a challenge. So the motto of obliger is, you can count on me, and I'm counting on you to count on me. Uh. Then there are rebels. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. They can do anything they want to do, anything they choose to do. But if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. And typically, they don't even like to tell themselves what to do, like, they're like, I'm not going to sign up for a 10 a.m. spin class on Saturday morning because on Saturday morning, I just want to do what I feel like. I like, I want to be spontaneous. It's just the idea that somebody's expecting me to show up at 10 a.m. is just going to annoy me. And the motto of the rebel is, you can't make me, and neither can I. <laughs> uh, so those are the four tendencies. Yes. Okay. So here, I think I'm an upholder. But the reason that I doubt and think I might slide to obliger is because of the food and weight connection. That's where I can't seem to uphold myself to my inner expectation. But 
everything else, my inner expectation with book deadlines, work deadlines, whatever. Okay, but book deadlines, and book deadlines are both, those are forms of outer accountability. Oh, that's true. Okay, okay so. Okay, now what if you said, I just want to start meditating and I'm going to get up in the morning 10, 10 minutes early and meditate. Could How would you find that? Yeah, so I'm doing that and I'm also doing like morning pages and I started that like six days ago and I do, I've done that. You know, so I, I can, I do have some inner expectations and I meet them, but then I fall down on others. And so that's why I get confused. So each of the tendencies overlaps with two other tendencies. So upholder, as you say, it overlaps with obliger because they both readily meet outer expectations. And a pol- and um, obliger, upholder also overlaps with questioner because they both readily meet inner expectations. So it sounds like you're either an upholder who tips to an obliger or an obliger who tips to upholder. Mm. Um, I will say that um, uh, with food, um, anything related to the body can be can can sometimes be kind of an exception. Like you will see okay. that even Polder might have an affair because it's like that is just like that is something that's just big and huge and happening and kind of interferes with our inner workings. Because you're like, why wouldn't a Polder like do something as ma- massive as that? Sometimes I mean. Something like food, it's like it's keyed into our it's it, it, it's, it can sometimes be an exception to someone else's um, whole the way you're describing yourself, though, I almost wonder if you're an obliger who tips to uphold her. Mm. Uh, that is a much bigger tendency. Also, is like statistically, it's much more likely because for both men and women, obliger is the biggest tendency, and it, there's many more obligers than upholders. Often, ten, uh, upholders like would you would you describe yourself as rigid? Do other people call you rigid? Do yeah, you, like, I'm, and I'm really I'm hard on myself, and I'm hard on other people. <laughs> uh, oh, you are hard on other people. Okay. Yeah, I don't Wait, mean would, to be. <laughs> uh, do you often have the feeling like why can't other people just get their stuff done? Yes, and like okay. why can't you get your shit together? Like what uh, what is your uh, big problem? Okay. Yeah, that is that sounds like upholders. Um, yeah, it's kind of a coldness to upholders often, and a and a and a, and a rigidity. I say this as an upholder myself, so right. I display all of these. So I feel you might like my obliger is all to do with my like weight and food. And, and that's probably a whole nother. But you say if that's an exception, I would almost say that's okay. really the only thing where I'm like, I need support and I need someone, you know. Can I, can I suggest something related yes, to this? Please, anything. <laughs> okay. And I write about this a lot and better than before because one of the big habits that people want to make and break is our habits related to eating. So I am an upholder. So I readily meet outer and inner, but I also have a tremendous, tremendous sweet tooth. And it was tre- very, very hard for me to man- 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 manage. Like I could have, I, I, like, I just, I was always very bored and exhausted by like, now, later, one, two, three, half, this counts, this doesn't count, all that business, whatever. And then I realized, okay, so the, here's another distinction among people. It's not related to the four tendencies. It's, it's a separate distinction, but this may be useful to you, which is abstainers versus moderators. Yes. So abstainers are people for whom it's easier to give up something altogether. It's like it's easier to have no cookies than to have one cookie. And that's how I am. I can't have half a dish of ice cream. I can't have one one little brownie. Like once I start, I want to keep going, keep going, keep going. And this has to do with strong temptation. Like I can have half a glass of wine because I don't really care about wine. But when it's sweets is what I love. And so I and I realized that for abstainers, it's easier to have none than to have a little bit. It's easier. And I have to emphasize, it's easier to have none. It sounds harder, but it's actually easier. 
Moderators, by contrast, are people who do better when they have a little bit or they have something sometimes. So they have a few French fries or they, they're like, I have a bar of fine chocolate in my desk drawer and every day or two I have one square of fine chocolate and that's all I want. I'm like, I can't imagine <laughs> no. that mindset because my whole day would be – I might as well eat it at 8 a.m. because my whole day is going to be – one square, two squares, three squares. It's raining. I'm tired. I've had a bad day. I just, you know, I, it's like don't have any. So it could be, could be. No, I'm totally an abstainer. For sure. I would, if you're an abstainer, like some upholders are moderators, so they don't go together. But I think being an abstainer and an upholder is actually a really helpful pairing because it's just like I'm just going to get clear on the rules and execute. You cannot believe what I abstain from now. I'm one of these super low carb people. Like I, there's so much I just never eat. And it doesn't tempt me, and I don't care. I can sit next to a plate of freshly baked chocolate chip cookies for hours, and it doesn't even – I don't care. So I would say to you, try abstaining because for me, it's so freeing. And I'm not saying it's right for everyone. I want to emphasize. Right. I'm not saying this is right for everyone. But you might try it, because, especially because I do feel like for upholders, it it's maybe particularly satisfying yeah. because it's – the rules are so clear. You just can have that 100% execution that upholders find very satisfying. It's just like, here's the way. Just try yeah, it. Yeah, no, and that's totally how I live my life 85% of the time. But the problem with me is when I go off my abstinence for whatever reason, and it's usually because I'm angry, <laughs> I will then, you know, have a cookie or a scoop of ice cream and then you know two weeks later I wake up and I'm in the bottom of my closet trying on my old prom dress with a carton of ice cream you know it, it's just I don't know what tips me but you're well, so that right sounds like obliger rebellion turned to the self so obliger rebellion is when because maybe you are an obliger um uh obligers will uh, they have there's a there's a very common very striking pattern where obligers will meet 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 expectations and then suddenly they snap and they're like this i will not do and sometimes it's small and funny like obligers will like sit in their car and be deliberately late for work because they're angry at a boss who's um who's taking advantage of them or it might be that they will end a 30-year friendship because the friend has just been pushing the boundaries for too much for too long so obliger rebellion is meant to help an obliger it's meant to get them out of a situation where burdens have become too heavy when they feel neglected or, or unheard or overlooked or exploited and it's meant to blow it up sometimes with obligers the obliger rebellion is turned to the self and so it takes like because you said you're tying it to anger so anger is like with everything that everybody's expecting me to do around here you think that i'm going to eat healthy ha huh, i'm going to show you and it's almost a punishing feeling do you have yes. this feeling of almost a punishing feeling yes. it's angry feeling it's an i'll show you feeling it's this rebellious feeling it's not this delicious delightful hedonistic like oh my gosh who could resist tiramisu it's like an angry feeling yes this angry often, tiramisu yeah it, it's often comes up also with exercise like with everything everybody's expecting from me do you think i'm going to do xyz or it can also take the form of like um with everything i'm doing for everyone else there's nothing left for me and it's always for obligers outer accountability. If you want to read more, join a book group. If you want to exercise more, work out with a trainer. The thing about something like food is it's very, it's like you can always have that aspect. So part of it is maybe to see why are you angry? Like yeah. why, do you, what, what is happening that is like giving you this feeling of that? Like, ah, I deserve it or I have to have it or I'll show you. Um, 
but also a way to do it on the that's on the tendency side on the abstainer moderator side is to have a planned exception and to say i'm the grown-up i can change the rules if i want to have ice cream i can have it but i'm going to plan for that and i'm going to look forward to it so i'm not going to just have the ice cream at midnight while i'm going through trying on my prom dress it's like if i want to have <laughs> I have to say, I'm going to have it on Saturday night. We're going to this restaurant. They're famous for their homemade ice cream. I love their vanilla bean. It's my favorite thing in the world. I'm going to look forward to it on Saturday. I'm going to go there. I'm going to eat it. It's going to be fantastic. I'm going to look back on it with pleasure. Then you stay in control of yourself because you're like, I'm an abstainer, but I have had this planned exception. It's for my birthday. It's not It's not the holidays, which stretches from a week before Thanksgiving. It's <laughs> last, you know, it's a day. It's It's one thing. It's pumpkin pie on thanksgiving one piece of pumpkin pie is the planned exception but that way you you don't feel like you've you're you've cut these things out of your life forever now i have to say for me i abstain all the time it's i just don't like to get into that business of planned exception so like i think i had a piece of cake at my my sister's wedding like you know that's the level that i'm talking about right and i didn't even really enjoy it because i'm like uh you know i can't even focus because here i am my, my sister's wedding um but but for most people do have a, or like my my father who's basically eats very low carb his planned exception is the grandchild exception if he's with a grandchild he's getting he's going out for ice cream he's eating the chocolate chip cookie that they baked you know but it's like how often is he with a grandchild not that often and how right. much even the grandchild like how much are you going to indulge in any one day not that much right because anything he's eating his grandchild's eating he's not like he's not going to be eating ice cream out of a carton at midnight with his granddaughter it's right. like we're going to go out and we're going to go to foos in kansas city and have a delicious frozen custard and like that's amazing but then basically if there's no grandchild he goes back to his old way so that's another way of having a planned exception so that's a way if you don't want to give something up altogether or that's kind of frightening to think about this is a way that you can stay in control of your habits because we want to keep our promises to ourselves. What's upsetting is when I'm like, I've made an important promise to myself, and yet I'm breaking it. I can't count on myself. That's a bad feeling. Right, right. Now, obliger, the way they count on themselves is they build in outer accountability. Give yourself outer accountability. You could think of your duty to your future self. If I come to the end of 2019, and I've had to go buy all new clothes because I got rid of all my clothes that didn't fit, and now these clothes don't, like, I'm going to feel really lousy about that. That's a kind of duty to the future self. Um there's accountability. I have an app, the better app where people form all kinds of accountability groups and talk about the tendencies and happiness and stuff, which is a free app. Uh, if you just go to better to Gretchen Rubin in the app store, you can find it. People have accountability groups for things like writing morning pages yeah. or things like eating healthfully. Um, so I think, I think the, the bigger picture, the bigger lesson is that People are different. And sometimes when we something doesn't work for us, like I can't use a to-do list or I can't I can't train for the marathon on my own the way my husband does. We think there's something wrong with us. Why can't we do what other people can do? But in fact, there's there's so many ways to achieve our aims. If one way doesn't work for you, try something else. Like usually like what you're experiencing is not uncommon. Like people think they're really super idiosyncratic, like oblige your rebellion. People are like, I didn't know this was a thing. I didn't understand this. I'm like, Oh, this is a big thing. Yeah. I can, it's in movies. It's in television shows. It's like people are doing, this is happening all the time. Once you have a name for it and you're like, Oh, this is a thing. It has good points, but also bad points. Let me understand what's going on. Um, and, and if I want to achieve the same, how do I set it up in the way that's right for me? Rather than feeling like if I can't do, it's like Marie Kondo. People are like, if I can't do Marie Kondo's method, I'm help, I'm hopeless. It's like, 
No, Marie Kondo's method works really well for some people. For some people, it doesn't work at all. Like the idea that you're going to take everything out of your closet and make one big heap, a lot of people would have nervous collapse. They can't can't do that. It's like her way is really successful for the people for whom it works. If it doesn't work for you, try something different. There's a million ways to achieve these aims. So begin with yourself. You're fine. You don't need to change. Let's change the way everything is structured around you so you can get to where you want. A lot of people would not be able to just sit down and write morning pages the way you are. Fine. I totally get it. Rebels can't do it because they don't want to feel chained to that unless that's what they want to do. Questers are like, why am I writing these these morning pages anyway? I mean, it's just just figure out the way to do it that's right for you, and then you can get where you're trying to go. Awesome. Well, I know you have to go. And thank you so much, Gretchen, for your time. Your new book, Outer Order, Inner Calm, is beautiful. It's one of those books that you pick up and it feels good in your hands, which I love. Well, thank so you. thank you so much. Thanks so much. It's so fun to talk to you.